Hello and welcome to Cloud9Fin. This is Sammy Cole, your host in London, and today I'm delighted to be sitting down with Cassie Fay, Managing Director at Pemberton Asset Management. Thank you so much for joining me today, Cassie. Thank you. No, a pleasure to be here. Okay, so today we're going to be speaking all about ESG in private credit. And there's been rising demand from LPs, which has meant that ESG is no longer just a second thought in private credit deals. And there's currently a variety of methods used by credit, private credit funds to integrate ESG. So today we're going to be digging deeper into these strategies and we'll look into the challenges that arise along the way and we'll also look into what the future holds. Super, let's get into it. Perfect. So to start, would you mind giving a brief overview into Pemberton's approach into integrating ESG into private credit? Yeah, so ESG has been an instrumental part of our investment process since you know 2016, which were you know admittedly the early days of ESG. Uh, very few managers were uh, you know taking into account ESG into any investment decisions. That's when we started, uh, and I must admit, uh, you know it has been a complete transformation between then and now, mm -hmm. uh, as you might expect. We started off um, incorporating an ESG questionnaire for our borrowers uh, from the outset. If I look back at that questionnaire, it was quite basic in the <laughs> early days. Uh, but that's, you know, that's the beauty of, of the ESG journey. We've, we've developed it. We, we now have a much more uh, comprehensive questionnaire. Uh, and we also have a series of other um, tools that we that we roll out to our borrowers, like the ESG Margin Ratchet, mm -hmm. um, and also we recently created, um, you know, proprietary ESG ratings for all of our borrowers. So we're trying to do different different things and continuously innovate because I think that's the key in, in ESG. Everyone's learning. Everyone's sort of catching up, so to speak. Um, and we're trying to stay at the forefront. Yeah, definitely. It seems to be consistently changing. And for the for the questionnaire, do you have a specific set of questions that you ask all borrowers for, or do, does that change um, according to the borrower? Yeah. So we, um, as I said, the questionnaire was one of the first tools we brought about. It started mm. off with I think thirty thirty five questions. It was you know, relatively brief. We actually, over the last 18 months, really did a huge revamp of the questionnaire to really have much more focus on uh, SFDR-related uh, topics, uh, PAIs, um, and also now this questionnaire is, is basically nearly 90 questions. So it's oh, nearly, wow. nearly tripled in size. Yeah. And it's just going down to, you know, reporting around greenhouse gas emissions um, and just really, really granular detail. At the moment, it's um, a consistent single questionnaire for all of our borrowers across mm -hmm. sectors. Uh, and I guess the way to think about it is about a year ago, we did this huge exercise to modernize the questionnaire. So it's it's twofold. It's the, the length and the depth of the questionnaire. But also previously, it was, a, it was an Excel spreadsheet. And now we have an online tool that our borrowers can go into, enter their questions, they can drag and drop. Uh, attachments like for instance any policies they have they can just drag and drop the pdf of the of the policy mm -hmm. so i think that's something to keep in mind that esg isn't only about the actual data it's about sort of the user experience of how we're yeah. gathering that data how we're then consuming it transforming it and and getting insights 
something that's definitely on our radar for the next iteration and back to what I said earlier around you have to keep on evolving in ESG is actually tailoring the questionnaire to different sectors so that, yeah. that will definitely be our next step um, but you know you, you can only sort of have a revolution every so often and so we, we sort of chose to expand the questionnaire change the, the delivery method uh, and then the next step will be yeah that that sector granularity yeah definitely and I guess another really important thing to consider is making sure that you ask the questions in a way that companies can't greenwash and it's very like it's very detailed um, yeah. answers that really get to the point yeah rather than yeah a hundred percent and I think for us if we went down our questionnaire it is by and large factual question so it's yeah. it's data it's you know it will be you know if you think of diversity it will be um you know number of females on the board and mm -hmm. gender split across the company so it's quite black and white yeah. questions it will also be things like number of accidents in the workplace so it's all geared to be very uh, sort of hard data rather than mm -hmm. opinions or we will do this or we will do that um because that that just holds less value for us yeah definitely and is it all borrowers that have to fill out, fill out this questionnaire? Is there any kind of repercussions if, if a borrower doesn't fill out the questionnaire? Yeah, so our, our objective is for every single borrower to complete mm -hmm. it. And for us, as part of our investment process, before we actually uh, close an investment, they will have to fill out the questionnaire. Yeah. So that is quite an easy way for us to, A, introduce the borrower to how we're managing ESG and how we're trying to, um, you know, get the borrowers to join us for this ride uh, from the, you know, from the very first day. And it's also a good time where, you know, we hold some, some of the leverage, so to speak, and we can say, you know, as part of our pre-closing diligence, we need to get all of this complete and we need to have a Q&A if required, etc. So that's sort of step one. And then over the years, we have an annual cycle where we will ask for a refresh. Because um, for us, it's not enough to just do it when you go into an investment. Uh, and particularly because in private credit, we're, you know, we're long-term investors for, mm -hmm. you know, anywhere between two to seven years is the is the reality on average three years but still we want to be checking year on year that there's a positive trajectory on on esg kpis um we've actually had very good completion rates and there will always be some exceptions so for instance if you think of the annual cycles that we're doing if a borrower is actually a company that's up for sale and we know that it is going to be a position that gets redeemed in the portfolio in two months, we will probably give them an exemption because they will say, well, I'm very busy with the sale process. We're not mm -hmm. going to be in the portfolio in, in a few weeks. So we'll we'll make some exemptions for those sorts of cases. But otherwise, we pretty much have of the borrowers that we're targeting for responses, we will typically get 90 to 100% response okay, rates. Right. So yeah. it's very robust. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And... What, what what are the biggest challenges that you face when, when collecting data in general, would you say? It's a variety of things. It would yeah. be anything from, uh, you know, management time. Depends where they, you know, how the business is performing or the depth of the, the management team or do they yeah. have, if they have a dedicated person for sustainability and ESG, then that's a bonus and we can, that person will definitely have the time. 
Um, so it's that sort of human aspect to begin with. And then once we get their focus and get them to complete the questionnaire, it's, it's the quality of the data. So yeah. we actually, and this was part of the reason why we moved to an online platform, because we can actually set certain questions to force a response mm -hmm. uh, in the response book, whereas in a spreadsheet, <laughs> you could just skip questions or, yeah, or okay. not, not give answers, just not fill out the cell. Whereas this is a system that it won't let you continue if you, you know, if you if you've just left it blank. Um, so kind of there's small triggers to kind of incentivize people to to get the data, and then finally, we will still have to do a you know a manual human review of all of these answers and sometimes there's human error in the in the data or sometimes we look at a response we think oh that seems a bit strange yeah um and then we'll go back to management and have a, quest a discussion about it so it's not a simple a to b it's very much a sort of up and down and you have to sort of chase some people um but what i would say is We've been doing this for many years and year on year, the data, the disclosure, the willingness to produce the data gets better and better. So it's all going in one direction, which is really promising. And I think in, in a couple of years, three years, we're probably not, this is probably not going to be a question of how are you gathering the data or is it any good? It will be a given that everyone yeah. is providing this data. So I think that's where we're heading to. Yeah, just looking towards that time where it becomes a lot easier yeah. to collect all the data. I know, I know. Um, and what about comparability of data across sectors? I know borrowers are generally smaller and less likely to publicly report yes. data. Yes, look, that's 100% that's true. Smaller borrowers that are less sophisticated will, you know, they just won't have as much data. And we saw it, um, in the last 18 months, we started to collate uh, scope one, scope two, scope three yeah. emission data from all of our borrowers. Scope three is extremely patchy. There's It's the minority of the portfolio that, that would gather that. Scope two is sort of average. Scope one is actually very good. So that's a, a great example of where they're trying to improve this this data gathering and reporting, but there's a, there's a journey still. The mm -hmm. other thing that's key and at least in our experience the vast majority of our portfolio is backed by pri private equity and that's a key aspect so yes maybe day one the data is average but we will very much emphasize with with the private equity shareholders that during their ownership they need to improve that and guess what they're, they're completely aligned because they need mm. to do this reporting uh as well for their lps and ironically i think the private credit community has been ahead of where private equity have been generally on, mm -hmm. on this data gathering, but I think they've realized how much this matters to their investor base. So now we're, you know, the alignment is extremely strong. So yeah, and we can is... really count on them to push that through with, with management. Mm -hmm. There's this kind of alignment of interests going yeah. on there. Yeah. And actually at the moment, Ninefin's developing a ESG screener tool that will allow clients to compare data points across different companies within the same sector. Do you think that this could help solve the challenge of a lack of comparable data? Like maybe, maybe these companies will be slightly bigger with public reporting across more ESG points. Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely an interesting proposition. 
yes, we've been so focused on gathering the data and the challenges around that. And then you get to the point where you're like, right, I've got the data. Yeah. Now, what does it mean? <laughs> um, and actually having that comparison is very valuable because it's very difficult to say, is this company doing well or not well? Because to make that assessment, it's versus what, right? Versus what's best practice. And there isn't always a clear view on what best practice might be. And that's why you need those those data points within the sector. Now we we at Pemberton we're in a privileged position because we're a scale player and we have, you know, we have eighty odd portfolio companies in the in the in the funds at any given time. Um so we're able to compare across, you know, a relatively deep data set. Mm -hmm. But I think if you're a smaller asset manager, that's going to be quite challenging. And I think having those data points externally is is really valuable because you have, it's a form of third party validation in saying, you know, and you can reference it with, um, you know, with the, with the management team and say, look, uh, your competitor X, which is, okay, maybe a slightly larger company, but this is what they're doing and this is how they compare versus you. And that's actually a very powerful tool for engagement. Whereas, yes, we can internally compare versus our different portfolio companies, but we're actually not in a position to, you know, disclose name by name, you know, this is what our other company is doing because we can't actually share that data. Yeah, So that's that full loop of feedback isn't always the easiest because of the lack of data at the moment. So I think more transparency will be positive. Definitely. And just the, the private nature of yeah. deal documentation as well, I guess, makes it difficult to compare across um, across peers and across the industry. Would you say that because of the private nature of, of private credit deal documentation, there could be an incentive for, for example, for SPTs to be less ambitious? Or how, how would you say you ensure KPIs and SPTs stay ambitious when they're not necessarily going to be open to the public? I think it's a variety of things. One, a lot of the regulation that's coming down, you know, in the, particularly in Europe, mm. um, is moving people towards disclosure on ESG matters. So whilst a lot of the data and the documentation will remain private, I think we're moving towards a requirement for more transparency on ESG KPIs. So this is obviously not the case at the moment. You don't need to report these publicly if you're, you know, mid-market company in, in England. But that may well be the case uh, very soon. So I think that that's one thing to, to watch out for. Mm -hmm. And then I think on your question around how can we stay ambitious, I think ultimately it's for us as as asset managers to 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 lead the way. And we get the pressure from the top from our investors. Yeah. So I think the message is very clear from our investors, how they want us to invest their money and how they want us to incorporate ESG into those decisions. Mm -hmm. And I think keeping targets ambitious is, is a focus. And I think now, you know, as part of the due diligence that they're completing, there's no way of hiding or, uh, you know, just doing a tick box exercise. Mm. It's very transparent what you're doing, what you're not doing, and, and is it ambitious or not? Yeah. I think there's a balance to strike. Um, we originally had uh, one of the KPIs in our margin ratchet was very ambitious uh, and we had to reduce it because none of our portfolio companies were able to hit it or okay. you know, maybe one or two. 
So I think being able to self-reflect and have that balance of ambitious, but it's attainable, because mm-hmm. you need to balance out uh, those two things so that the management teams are still motivated and so the private equity firms are also behind it. If you're setting some really challenging targets, then it's probably going to lead to inaction. Yeah. Uh, because they're going to say, well, I'm not going to even bother to try and hit this because it's impossible. So I think particularly in these earlier years, because um, we're still at the very beginning of, of this journey, I feel, um, creating incentives and making sure that it's something that's achievable within yeah. one, two, three years. If, you, yeah. if you're setting something that is only achievable in 10 years, it's, it's, it's just too difficult. Mm-hmm. So it's about being ambitious, but also staying relevant to the company. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Amazing. Thank you so much, Cassie. Um, Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It was super interesting talking to you about ESG and private credit. And thanks to you, the listener, for tuning in. Please let us know if you have any feedback on today's podcast by emailing team at ninefin.com. And be sure to also check in next week to hear the latest on US markets with our colleague, Will Cager-Smith. And we'll be back the week after that. See you then.